Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's info at thesportscircus.com. Drive your sales today by advertising with the Sports Circus. It's time for NBC Radio News on KCAA Loma Linda. Brought to you by Green Kong Dispensary, the Inland Empire's finest curated medical and recreational dispensary. Google GreenKong.com. California headline news. An exercise in apparent partisanship on Capitol Hill as discussion continues on the two articles of impeachment brought against President Trump. Republican California Representative Tom McClintock says the process is a threat to our democracy. This is precisely the abuse of impeachment the American founders feared, that the power to overrule a national election would devolve into a weapon of partisan warfare. Democrats say it's imperative to remove President Trump from office to hold him accountable for his actions and so as not to allow him to seek undue influence in another election. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi claiming there won't be a shutdown of the government. We're hoping to reach a place uh, this morning, in fact, to see just uh, how close we are uh, to um, passing a, a, a real bill instead of having a CR, but we are not going to have a shutdown of government. She said the Appropriations Committee is moving forward with a funding bill for government as next week's deadline approaches. A couple of earthquakes in the Los Angeles area overnight, neither causing damage. Jeff Scott, California News. It may not be stomach issues. For me, it's intense gas or pain or diarrhea, sometimes all at once, over and over. I spent years with the symptoms but could never figure it out. No matter what I did, they never went away. So I decided to break it down for my doctor and get really specific about my symptoms. We discovered that exocrine pancreatic insufficiency, or EPI, may be the reason for my stomach issues. EPI is caused by my pancreas. It leads to diarrhea, gas, bloating, stomach pain, unexplained weight loss, and oily stools. The symptoms just don't go away. But EPI can show up with even one symptom. The good news? EPI is manageable. But to get to the right diagnosis, you have to break it down for your doctor and get specific about the severity of your symptoms. Visit IdentifyEPI.com to learn more and use the symptom checker to help change the conversation with your doctor. Brought to you by AbbVie. NBC News Radio. I'm Tom Roberts. The House Judiciary Committee is not exactly racing to a vote expected later today on two articles of impeachment against President Trump. Republicans are offering amendments that are being rejected by majority Democrats, and that's slowing down the process. Pennsylvania Democrat Madeline Dean is accusing Republicans of running away from the facts which have led to charges of abuse of power and obstruction of Congress against Trump in the Ukraine scandal. Notice the contrast between the conversation on this side of the aisle and that. They're afraid to, to admit to themselves or to the American public 
of what the president's behavior really adds up to. Louisiana Republican Mike Johnson calls it an impeachment charade. New Jersey Attorney General Gerbeer Graywall says the FBI will begin taking up the lead in the Jersey City investigation, given it appears there was a hate crime in a deadly shooting Tuesday at a kosher grocery store. I can confirm that we're investigating this matter as potential acts of domestic terrorism, fueled both by anti-Semitism and anti-law enforcement beliefs. Investigators are reviewing surveillance video and social media accounts linked to the suspects. The Senate is voting to recognize Armenian genocide. The resolution was passed by unanimous consent today despite strong objections by the Trump administration and Turkey. A new U.S. ambassador is on his way to Russia. The Senate approved Deputy Secretary of State John Sullivan to replace John Huntsman today. Those killed in the mass shooting at Naval Air Station Pensacola are being honored posthumously. Acting Navy Secretary Thomas Modley announced this week that the wings of gold have been presented to the families of Joshua Watson, Muhammad Haytham, and Cameron Walters. Motley says the three were among the first to respond to last week's horrific attack, and they made the ultimate sacrifice to protect their brothers and sisters in arms. Rick Hochul, NBC News Radio. A new survey shows at least 250 journalists have been jailed due to the reporting over the past year, with China and Turkey leading the way. You're listening to the latest from NBC News Radio. The symbol of power and majesty, the gorilla, feared and respected. Our closest animal cousin believed to possess human-like depth and understanding. Green Kong Cannabis Dispensary of Paris aspires to develop the same understanding. Green Kong is a destination, a personal experience with great service for everyone. Located right off the 215 freeway and Hurley Knox Road in Paris, Green Kong is safe, legal, and easy. Visit GreenKong.com for orders. You must be 21. Green Kong is the place for you. Experience Green Kong's exotic surroundings in their jungle-like setting. Bathed in soothing light, Green Kong is a go-to destination for the CBD or cannabis curious or the connoisseur. Google GreenKong.com or visit Green Kong's brand new exciting new location in Paris, California. Live from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 10.50 a.m., 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM. We're located in beautiful, sunny California. And it was sunny today, a little bit of chilly, but we're also live on Turfs Up Radio. And Turfs Up Radio is the only radio station dedicated to the green industry. And we are back from Vegas. But are we allowed to talk about it? Because what happens in Vegas? Stays in Vegas? Yeah. Hey, we're allowed to talk about it. It was a great week it out was there, great. wasn't it? It was excellent. Excellent. Great Irrigation Association show. Good people coming to it. It was a great crowd. Yep. Well attended. Uh, a lot of good things that, uh, that we saw there from, uh, from both um, a contractor standpoint and distributor standpoint. A lot of learning, tons of classes and oh, yeah. uh, certificates handed out. It was a great show. And we did a lot of recording, pre-recording. We, we got did. a lot uh, for the ag stuff, which will be next week. And we've got a lot of different people, not only from the United States, but we're having some people from Israel. Mm-hmm. We're going to be on. And we also have some people from Saudi Arabia that's going to be on. Yeah. So uh, it's, uh, it was a great show. We had some good, uh, good, good times with good interviews, and I'm very excited about that. Me too. 
So, anyway, we missed this next person because we were away and she was busy and, <laughs> and we're catching up with her. <laughs> and she's our most wonderful, how do I say this, just the best all-around smartest water person of news in, in, in California and possibly the world. She's going to branch out and do the world. So she's the uh, purveyor of Maven's Notebook, Miss Chris Austin. Welcome to the show. That's the sound of my head <laughs> blowing up. <laughs> there won't be sun in Southern California tomorrow. My head will be blocking. Uh, we, 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 we missed you. We were so busy, and I know you had some things to do, and, and I'm glad we're, we're reuniting again. Isn't there oh, a song? Yeah, Reunited and... Uh, Don't make him sing, Chris, please. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, he can probably sing because, you know, like me, he used to be, we used to be like something, but... You know, yeah. he can sing. He can. My, me, myself, that's, I that's can... That's me, no. <laughs> yeah. There, there's actually, you know, I've been requested, no, no, just... Don't sing. Just yeah. bounce the word. No, ask, ask my shower. Yes. People <laughs> ask me to sing. I say I can carry a horse farther than I can carry a tune. <laughs> can, you, can you tune a fish? <laughs> no, and I can tune a piano. Okay, there you go. <laughs> so what's what's great happening in the water world of California? Well, you know, last week I got to attend the Aqua Conference, which was held in San Diego. And... Uh, I, by the way, I just got to say, I took the train to San Diego. I actually got on Metrolink up here in Santa Clarita, and I went to Union Station. And from there, I went down on the train to San Diego, and I, it was a really nice way to travel, I got to say. You, I mean, it is not like an airplane. I, I mean, the tray table you have to pull out, it, it's actually set up so you can pull it out to you. You know, the it, it's great. Uh, leg room, my word, as as much as I and, and I'm a tall woman, yep. so um, so I highly recommend the train. I love the train. Um, but anyways, I went down to the Aqua Conference in San Diego, and uh, you know, some of the big items of discussion were uh, like the voluntary agreements, which are this idea that they have in the area north of the Delta and in the Delta to kind of work out a plan for the fish and for the water. Um, and it's been in the works for a year, and they were due to give an update like at the end of October, I believe, and they, and they said they needed some more time. So we're all kind of waiting to see what is the outcome of the voluntary agreement. Um, the environmental people have said uh, in a letter probably about six weeks, two months ago, that they were very unhappy with the way things are progressing because part of the reason why they entered into this voluntary agreement is that uh, these uh, water districts in Northern California and other interests, they want to create some habitat uh, for fish, which we which is desperately needed, um, and and they kind of want to trade habitat for flow. So they're trying to, you know, minimize how much water they give up and sort of replace that with habitat. And it's, that's kind of a, a bit of a question uh, because if you don't have enough flow in the river, the fish won't use the habitat. So it's kind of like, you know... A catch twenty two, so and and they're trying to figure all this out, and they need some more time. 
um, which is not necessarily a surprise. So, but there was a lot of talk about that and and how important collaboration is. And uh, with someone from the state water board pointing out that if the voluntary agreements get approved, that's a much quicker way to really be able to start enacting some solutions on the ground rather than their traditional approach, which will result in a lot of litigation. So we'll see where that goes. Um, The other item of uh, discussion was the governor's water resilience portfolio, which he um, started the process back in, I don't know, August or September, and he he was saying that the administration was saying they were going to put out a draft of this by the end of October. And uh, from the impression that I got is that, well, now they're hoping, you know, to get it done by the end of the year, but they're not sure. But what he's essentially got, what the governor has in his hands, is a, a wish list, a Christmas list from every water stakeholder group in the state. He's got it all sitting there in front of him. Environmental groups, ag groups, the state, uh, everyone's put in their list of things they want. And uh, and he's got to sort that out. You know, and it, it this brings to mind uh, something that uh, this uh, gentleman named Phil Eisenberg, who used to chair the Delta Stewardship Council, he said this uh, many many years ago, what what was going on was a group of people in the Delta of all these varied interests that got together and they just kind of said, well, what projects would we all support? And they came up with a list. And so they came in front of Phil at the Delta Stewardship Council and they were like, here is our list of projects we all agree on and look at us, we're singing Kumbaya. We are so happy here, us and our group, and here's our list of projects. And and so Phil looked at, at this list, and he said, well, how much do all these projects total up to? Oh, they said about $2 billion. And he's like, so what, what are the priorities here? And the group said, well, we didn't want to go into priorities because then we'd all be arguing. And so he, <laughs> he looked at them, and he said, you can't give a legislator a $2 billion list of things you want. You have to prioritize these yeah, things. They, need they a plan. don't know what to do with this. Yep. <laughs> so I think about that, and I think the governor is sitting here looking at all of this stuff and and trying to figure out how to prioritize, and, and it must be quite a difficult task. So well, don't, well, don't these, color me surprised it's not ready yet. Don't, don't, these, <laughs> don't these people work with the staff of the governor, so at least they have some communication back and forth before they show up at this and, and, and then drop it on them? Well, you know, he, he asked for it. He put out this executive order, and he said, give me your your list. So, and we're taking public input from groups, from regular people. Here's a website. We're going to travel the state and listen, and and that's what indeed they did do. And they brought and the and they brought indeed. the tired and poor back to him, and now we're stuck in this position. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, I mean, <laughs> everybody got on board, and I mean the environmental groups. Some people tried to sort of consolidate their requests, so that like a lot of the environmental NGOs sort of got together and they came up with their list. So there's only just a handful maybe from them. Um, And the water interests, the stakeholders, the ag 
people, the San Joaquin Valley blueprint. I mean, everybody just, because uh, he invited it. He said, bring it on. So guess what they did? <laughs> <laughs> and now we've got to figure out what to do. And, uh, and this, is not, this is no easy task. No. And, you know, I think um, I, my personal opinion is I think he sort of came to this with that, this fresh face idea that, you know, he can figure this out and if we all just sit and talk to each other, how happy we will be. And, you know, we can come up with these win-win solutions. And, you know, people like to say it's not a zero-sum game. But, you know, it, 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 it kind of is. Yeah. You know, I, I think when we tell ourselves it's not a zero-sum game, uh, we're just trying to, you know, give platitude. Well, he should have um, yeah. brought, brought the Doritos and beer and maybe that would have... Got him a little bit more excited to to do it. Yeah, well, you know, I I just think it's a it's a it's a waste of. Oh, we have Doritos. We have Frank's actually Doritos. Doritos. Our engineer is showing <laughs> us through the booth here. He's got a bag of Doritos. So, uh, do, do you you like those? This is Frank, our engineer in the back, and you can't see him, but he's uh, he's got a Levi green Levi shirt that glows in the dark. And uh, <laughs> so so, anyways, I got to tell you what the big hot story is, though, on my blog this week. Are we, we going to talk about the water grab? <laughs> oh, no. Huh? Oh, no. Uh, yeah, water grab. Uh, give us the dirt. Give us, I was going to say give us the dirt, but give us the water. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. You know, I have this uh, category that I sometimes include on my blog. It's called the And Lastly, and it kind of goes at the end, and it's for the offbeat and weird and funny and sometimes off-topic things that I find. I really try and focus the blog on stuff, but when, you know, other stuff comes along, I, I put this in. But uh, I, I came across this piece that I just had to add, and it is a, it was a story about how up in Northern California, a beach got inundated <laughs> with what they call the penis fish. I know it's a fam it's a family show I know but I I'm using the the correct anatomical thing. Yes. And if you look at it you would think that like it was Lorena Bobbitt on on steroids. I mean it <laughs> it, it it's, it's actually quite accurate. Uh. <laughs> and and actually kind of gross to tell uh. you but the deal is you know I mean marine creatures are so amazing. And some of them are just so weird. And this is what this really is, this penis fish. It's a worm, a marine worm, about the um, <clears throat> correct anatomical size that uh, burrows into the sand and sort of lives in the sand and, um, you know, sort of has one part that reaches up and gets its food in. And uh, what they think happens is, uh, you know, they had a lot of heavy rains. Um, and, and heavy uh, waves that eroded the sand and sort of exposed a whole bunch of these, like, worms. And so if you look at the picture, it, it, it's, it's you have, pretty amazing. Just so you know, everybody here in the studio, except for me, is on their cell phones looking this up and looking at the pictures. Yes, Bay Nature Magazine. Actually, if you type in penis fish, you know, it, it comes right up. I checked it in Google. So. Wow. <laughs> and, 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 yeah. yeah. Now, I'll warn you, you take a look, you may want to wish you had, you know, some people were like, I, I kind of want to unsee that. Well, yeah. yeah, you can. Oh, God, <laughs> Chris. 
Yep. <laughs> guys, yeah, hold, guys. Yeah. It's Nobody. too late, Chris. <laughs> well, I warned you. Oh. I warned you. <laughs> well, see, we should. Yeah, we got it. We got it. Yeah. Well. It, well, we didn't, we're not showing it on the video broadcast, so that's a, that's a good thing. But if yeah, anybody don't, wants don't to, don't post that on the video, Frank. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> it, it it's somehow X-rated, although it's just nature. You know, no. sometimes nature can be pretty X-rated. You yeah, know? <laughs> I never heard of can that. Be that, nasty. that kind of worm. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> so, oh well, that's the way it is. Uh, we live every day to hear about stuff like that. It is. So you know. <laughs> So uh, yeah, so like another I interesting say. another interesting byline on your uh, on your blog today on the, on the blog, but on the website was uh, was this note, and I'll read it to you. So maybe you can explain. It says, "Quote: Can salmon eat their way out of climate change?" Ah, yes. This is this is very interesting. I'd heard about this that you know when climate change. W- one of the things that's happening is making the water temperature warmer in the rivers and the because the air temperature is warmer, and that transfers to the streams. And they have found, you know, that that extra temperature stress to a certain point on fish can be made up for if they have more food than they might usually eat because their bodies are burning up a little bit more. So if there's more food, then it might be a way that they can buffer a little bit against climate change. Yeah, it's like Uh, a balancing thing, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, it, it, and there's a lot of potential there, but, you know, they, it, it's only going to work up and in, to a point, you know, because temperature will become lethal at, at some point for the salmon. But it's, it's one thing that is hopeful. And one of the things that they've been working on uh, for a lot of, uh, for the past, oh, I don't know, decade or so, is they talk about the Delta as being a, uh, it's starved in terms of nutrients and fish food and things in the water. Um, They say it's not a productive estuary, although others have come and said, well, you have all this invasive water hyacinth growing around, so it's hard to say it's not productive. Mm. But at any rate, when it comes to food sources for fish, they can be starved for food. Um, and these are the little bugs and copepods and zooplankton that float around in the water. One of the reasons for this uh, that they've come to understand is um, there's some invasive clams that have come into the estuary, and uh, these clams are filter feeders, meaning that they bring in the water and they eat up all of those, all of that fish food themselves. Mm. And that is where a lot of the food sources have have gone to. Um, you know, so uh, so they've been doing a lot of projects to try and figure out how to get more fish food into the into the estuary, and this ties into the work that we've probably talked about here on uh, floodplains. Mm-hmm. You know, because in the past the water used to flow across the land, and it's flowing across the land, it, and it went a little bit slower when it wasn't all cultivated and graded. Um, but as it went across the land, it would pick up and generate the algae and, and things for the food web. And then we went and we channeled off all these, uh, all these fields and we stopped that water flowing across the land into the river. 
And so, you know, there's been a lot of work and a lot of experimentation on how they can uh, get these, uh, this water to, that sits on the land to get it into the river. Uh, so they, they have done some projects where they have widened certain parts of the river so that it can sort of flood a floodplain area off to the side. Um, they've done some work with uh, flooding rice fields and letting the water sit there and then flushing that water into the river to put foot, to put food into the river. So, I mean, there's a lot of work being done on this, and, you know, a lot of it is happening in the Sacramento Valley. And it's really actually kind of fun to see. The, the, uh, you know, there was a time back in, you know, a few decades ago where the farmers used to burn their fields after at their rice fields to burn the rice straw after they harvested and that meant some really huge air quality problems so then they came along they said no you can't burn you have to flood your fields and at first the farmers were very mad about this and they didn't want it but then when they started flooding the fields the birds came in rapid numbers and they actually found that the birds ate the bugs and some of the pests that, you know, and they got them out of the ground before they planted the next, the next rice patch. So they actually came to uh, appreciate the birds and how that has added, you know, made their farming life easier. But also, you know, they just became bird lovers. I have driven around the Sacramento Valley with farmers, and they have this card up on their visor, and they can stop and pull it down and so they can identify what birds are in their fields. And they're, they, I mean, I'm not kidding. They're excited about this. Farmers so slash ornithologists. I, well, you know, you yeah, know, so, it, it, it's interesting. I've get, uh, I forget the name of the magazine I get. It's a, it's a farming magazine. And I've been reading it because it has some really interesting things about insects and and what they have to do to their fields after the crop and what they should plant and, and so forth. But, you know, this whole thing is getting to be, for, sci- for, for, for small farmers, it's getting to be really high-tech farming now. And I see a lot of the smaller family farms uh, can absorb the costs to get into that new technology, which will help them. And now you're seeing corporate farming is becoming a big, a big deal in the U.S. I just want to know if you wear overalls when you read your farming magazine. No, I don't. <laughs> you know, one of the biggest challenging t- challenges to the farming industry um, is that the average median age of a farmer is like 63. I mean, it's old. Uh, sorry, apologies to all the farmers that are listening. But, you know, there's not a lot of young people that are going, hey, I want to go, you know, work on a farm. No. And this is why we have the growth of corporate farming. Right. Uh, if, if we had enough people interested in, in doing it, then they would. But, you know, it's not easy to be a farmer. No, I can and, and I really respect the ones that get out there and try. I, I, and, honest, I, I honestly agree with you on that. And reading, you know, it's called Successful Farming and, and the magazine. But what, what I am getting really interested in is, you know, you said, you know, the average age is 63 and such. I think there's tons of jobs available in the new beginning with all this new technology to hire people come in. And, and re- I mean, we talk like companies from Bayer. 
you know, the ones who make aspirin, they're big into chemicals and things for, for, uh, for growing food and, and things of that sort. Uh, all this new machinery, all these new uh, sensors that they use, not only to measure the ground sensors, but the canopy sensors and, uh, and, and above. Satellite. I mean, there's so, much, yeah, there's so much technology that's out there. I, 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 I think... I, I think the universities and, and even the high schools should start bringing back some of these classes to teach kids on how to how to do these or what what to look for in, in a job because some of these jobs are it's really fascinating, you know, reading reading all of these things and what's happening and uh, things are being developed, and yet there's such a shortage of people and and even as you, as you know in the water industry there's a lot of people who've been in that business for a long time and they're all to, a lot of them are at retirement age, and there's not a lot of backfill. For those positions. That's right. So, and, you know, they really need, uh, we really going to need wastewater treatment operators and, you know, drinking water treatment operators. And the one thing that I really want to point out is that those are good jobs, uh, very stable. Yep. A city doesn't get to say, you know, we're, we, we are cutting our budget. We can only process uh, 100,000 gallons of sewage this year. Yeah, they don't get to say that, right? right? So it's a really stable job, and for anyone out there, you should know it's a two-year degree. It's a community college degree. You don't have to go to school for four years to right. get it. Right. Um, and these are good jobs with benefits and lots of job security. So I just want to encourage anyone out there that has you know a need to find a job or has any interest in this, Go to your community college. Absolutely. It, you know. yeah, jobs are available, Chris, right? Yes, absolutely. They need you. Yeah, the food, yeah. Business, the food business isn't going out of business. So yeah, really. We, we, with more people, yeah. we need that. I think we're getting up close to the break here, uh, Chris. So, hey, great to hear your voice and, uh, and yep. have you back on the segment again. And remember, for all the listeners, please go to mavensnotebook.com. If you want to become a subscriber, do so or a contributor to that. It's a great source for everything you want to know about California news, even though we broadcast all across the country and the world. But we still have a big audience in California. We like to cover that as well. So, Chris, thank you very much. We'll talk to you uh, probably in two weeks from now. and uh, okay. or Actually, three weeks, because we probably won't see you for two Christmas. Two Christmas. Yeah. So, anyway, <laughs> okay. you, have a, you have a Merry Happy Christmas. Happy holidays, everybody. Happy right holidays, and stand by for our second half of the Water Zone. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, K292FQ Riverside, and K293CF Moreno Valley. If you knew there was a pipe cement that works better than the one you're currently using, is better for you and the environment, and costs the same or less, would you buy it? Oh, no-brainer, right? Weldon, the trusted leader in solvent cements for over 60 years, is pleased to introduce a new line of solvent cements that does all that. Introducing the Eco-Series line of solvent cements for PVC piping systems. Not only does it work great and set fast, it also has 30% lower solvent emissions and less smelly fumes. A better workplace environment when you're installing pipes. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. But don't just take our word for it. EcoSuries products are the only solvent cements that are Green Seal certified for environmental innovation for effective performance, improved working conditions, and for use with potable water. Now available in a medium-bodied, fast-setting blue formula, 905 Eco, and a regular-bodied, fast-setting clear formula, 900 Eco. Pick up a can today from your local distributor and see, smell, and feel the difference, just like Joe Sweat, president of Sunrise Irrigation, did. He said, after using Weldon's 905 Eco, we immediately noticed the application was smooth and there was noticeably less odor than other blue solvent cements on the market. The guys love it. To learn more about Eco Solvent Cements from Weldon, visit the website at www.weldon.com or call the Technical Service Hotline at 877-477-8327. That's 877-477-8327. Time to take a water break and talk some water. Irrigation. Such a refreshing topic. As more and more markets face water restrictions, your customers may be hungry, or should I say thirsty, for water saving products. For new installations, add options like drip irrigation, controllers that respond to weather data, pressure regulating heads, or heads with check valves. They all provide easy ways to differentiate your bids and win more jobs. Or for an extra stream of revenue, offer existing customers upgrades like high efficiency nozzles, rotary nozzles, or Wi-Fi based controllers. Because when you help your customers save water, you make a world of difference for the earth and your bottom line at the same time. We'll drink to that. Okay, we're back, and that was a, kind of an interesting uh, conversation that we had and learned about some new, <laughs> new, yeah, new kind of worm fish or that whatever. That subject doesn't come up that often. No, I didn't believe that. And all you guys are sitting there looking on your, your websites to see what it I was. I bet there was a bunch of people went to Google right there. <laughs> I'm, sure sure. They, I'm sure they did. That's for but, sure. Um, anyway, we have an interesting guest that we want to bring on. And uh, for those of you who want to maybe call in and ask the next gentleman, this guy's an expert we got coming in. Uh, our lines here are 888-909-1050, or if you're local, 909-792-5222. And we have a gentleman uh, coming on. His name is Steve Bilson. Uh, he has a degree in government and years of working in various federal agencies. He founded a company called Rewater Systems in Palo Alto in 1990. And after working two years as a participant on the California Gray Water Ad Hoc Committee, he sponsored Assembly Bill number 3518, which passed unanimously and resulted in the nation's first-of-a-kind state gray water irrigation law in California Water Code Section 14875. So that's pretty neat. And in 1992 through 1994... He worked with virtually every local, regional, and state building safety and health protection agency in California to help write the first state gray water irrigation code for single-family systems. So this guy is certainly an expert. Chris, uh, what else? Yeah, what we also know about him is right here in California. We know he's responsible for 
getting more permitted gray water irrigation systems than anyone else combined. And uh, his client list includes, I mean, he's helped clients like National Resource Defense Council, the U.S. Marine Corps, and, and many others like that. So a well, well-rounded individual. So we'd certainly like to welcome our next guest, Mr. Steve Bilson. Welcome to the Water Zone, sir. Well, thanks for having me. It's, uh, good to be here. You know, it's, it's, it's great to have somebody on uh, who knows about gray water because a lot of people don't understand gray water. They kind of know what it is, but they don't know how resourceful it can be. Uh, can you tell us a, a little bit more about yourself and really how did you get into this thing? What made you choose the direction that uh, you started rewater and what, what, what was exciting to you to do that? Well, I, I grew up in the San Joaquin Valley and um, I, I saw the water table dropping uh, rapidly over the years and and um, when we were kids, we could dig forts and hit the water table, and now it's 175 feet deep. And um, that's close to a, about 90 million acre feet of water that's now completely gone forever. So that's a, um, you know, everybody talks about uh, the surface water, you know, which kind of rain off, uh, runoff you get, you know, from this year's precipitation and snow snowpack. And, um, but the, you know, like the, the nasty secret is that the groundwater is disappearing faster than anything. And um, it wasn't until the last couple of state administrations that uh, Sacramento got it and started looking at groundwater. So back in the, the 80s, like, I was going, what's what's the way to reuse the water that we already have? Because reuse has got to be the solution. You can't create water, um, not, not cost-effectively anyway. Uh, yeah. And I came up with gray water. There's a lot of a lot of options out there, and I started looking at gray water studies, and and um, this was back before the internet when it was easy, and um, I rounded up about 325 studies on gray water from around the world, and said, okay, what's the problem? Well, there's gray water at that point was defined as anything but toilet and kitchen water, mm-hmm. and so once I separated the studies that had uh, toilet and kitchen, put them in one pile and studies that had everything but toilet and kitchen in another pile, it was clear that the science said that um, gray water without kitchen water is actually relatively benign. So I said, okay, that's, um, that's interesting. It's everywhere. Any place you have a residence, you have it. And um, everyone's trying to grow things, and they've got a good source of water. Let's, how do you make this work? And that's when I got into the, the legal part of it. And had my assemblyman sponsor Assembly Bill three five one eight, like you read. Mm-hmm. And um, a very long story short, we got the first uh, state gray water irrigation uh, bill passed. And uh, then another long story short, we got a we got all the code worked out with all the stakeholders involved, and that's a long, long list. And um, then we, I went right back to it again with the Assembly Bill three one three to do multifamily residences. And um, while the science was still fresh in everybody's minds, it, uh, I figured I'd better strike while the fire is hot. And then we got a couple more years under our belt and got the uh, multifamily gray water code in place, which is just amendments to the first code. Mm-hmm. So now any kind of residence uh, can have a gray water system. And there's a whole bunch of criteria. The gray water code now is 16 pages long. But um, it, it's available for everybody throughout the state of California. And then other states started getting into it and worked with a few of those states. And, and um, there's a lot of states that have, now have their own gray water bills. 
most of them are based on California's code, and uh, some of them are better. Uh, much some of them are much worse, but um, yeah, that's the uh, that's how I got started. Well, it's too bad you don't get royalties for writing the original one and then them copying you. So. <laughs> <laughs> Copyrighted, right? Hey, well, yeah. Yeah, so so Steve, we knew, we uh, we've had several gray water people on the show before, right? And and talked about rewater uh, uh, types of rewater systems, not specifically uh, uh, yours. But for our listeners, can you kind of describe what the basic function of a of a rewater system is? Right, a lot of listeners are are, are aware of gray water uh, uh, recycling systems, but a lot of them aren't aren't used to uh, hearing about the components and what makes it up. And uh, let's talk about that before we talk about the markets that uh, uh, that you're going yeah. after. So um, a, a gray water system, there's there's two kinds. There's legal kinds and there's illegal kinds. And um, Like many things. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and um, the state had many people come and testify, like from Department of Health Services, that said, now we know there's something like 7 million illegal gray water systems out there. We just, we just know from all the conversations we've had over the decades with health administrators that we know they're out there. And there's no reported case of a human um, health risk from these systems, even though there are millions of them with collectively billions of, of operating hours. So we know gray water is not that big of a thing, but we're going to have this big code so we know that nothing will happen bad. And so we'll talk about legal gray water systems, approved, permitted gray water systems. And it's, it can collect showers, tubs, bathrooms, sinks, laundry water, and uh, sometimes like air conditioning, condensate, or uh, maybe uh, RO discharge, but uh, nothing from the t- toilets and nothing from the kitchen. And you need a permit uh, to install it, except since, 19, or since 2009, if you have a closed washer-only system that doesn't have a pump, you don't need a permit. But everything else needs a building permit. Wow. And so what that includes is it means you have to have code-approved wastewater materials like, you know, ABS pipe or PVC pipe or copper pipe if the pressures are over such and such or whatever. And you have different types of components that have to be listed by third-party agencies and the assembly methods, you know, the types of glues. I was listening to the commercial, you know, well-done glue. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. right. you know, it have a UP stamp, UPC stamp on it. You know, that, that could be something that is required for a approved system. So it's got to have a certain type of construction to be a permitted system. And so it needs to have a fail-safe design uh, that's going to overflow to the sewer. Um, something, you know, the pump stops, electricity goes out, um, it'll have a place for the gray water to go. Then all the irrigation systems attached to it have to be made for gray water. And they, they have to, according to the manufacturer, have to be approved for gray water. And then... They can't allow, their installation can't allow gray water to come to the surface. And nobody wants gray water on the surface. In fact, Arizona is the only state that allows gray water on the surface, but they're far removed from most water sources. They have no beach, <laughs> and it's a different environment over there. So that works for them. But everyone else requires underground use of gray water. How scalable are these systems, uh, Steve? Very, time? yeah. Okay. We've got systems that go from just a... A clothes washer, simple little 
uh, pump system to um, you know our underground drip system with a little control on them to great big giant hotel size systems. I've got some army barracks that produce about eight thousand gallons a, a day. Um, you know, for a gray water system, that's that's a lot of water every day, rain or shine, drought or not. Um, you have access to that water, so they're very scalable. Most things are in between that somewhere. So most systems are. In so, so are these type systems prime? Well, I, I would guess. I'm just asking: Is it primarily for doing this with new construction? Just like when they bring potable water to to homes, they got to run second pipes and everything else. Is it better to do it at the at the building stage, yeah. construction Rather stage, than versus plumbing? Yeah, and, and can it be done? You know, in a home as a retrofit. Yeah, yeah. as a retrofit. Retrofits are problematic. Um, you have slab floors where all the pipes are already in the concrete. It's impossible. If you have a raised foundation, single story, then it's possible. If you don't have stem walls and uh, all sorts of air conditioning conduit, conduits and stuff underneath there to block you, it's, it's theoretically possible to access some of the gray water sources. But if you have a two-story all the water upstairs is already plumbed into the sewage system, and it's brought down the walls and sewage, so you can't get to the gray water. Mm-hmm. You're doing a major remodel, and you have access to all those showers, tubs, and clothes washers that you want to uh, capture the water from, Yeah, maybe during the remodel. But uh, just to take a standing home, existing home, try to retrofit, it's very problematic, yeah. except for just the clothes washer. But that clothes washer... You talked about that little J-hook on the back of the clothes washer discharge. It goes into the downspout right behind the clothes washer. Mm-hmm. You just lift that out, and now you've diverted your gray water. You can put that, you squirt it into some tank where you can pressurize it and send it out to irrigation. So that's pretty simple for a clothes washer-only system, but not so much uh, on retrofitting the existing home. Can you tell us a little about, I would assume this all has to still get filtered in some way? Yeah. What about the yuck factor, right? Yeah. That people thinking you know, <laughs> thinking about here. I know I, I know our listeners are. Well what about all the well, li- all the all the lint com- comes in the yeah. washing machine that goes the out down the drain? And the hair. That is yeah. the big one. Yeah, that's that's the that's the debris source. Uh you have and most of that comes from the clothes washer. Mm-hmm. But uh, you yeah, you have to have a good filter. And the uh, only types of filters we have seen that are worth a hoot are sand filters. And because you have thousands of these little pieces of rock, and um, the hair and the lint will be forced on top, but it won't wrap around anything. If you have a screen or a disc filter or something like that, uh, hairs will wrap around it or go through the screen and wrap around it, and then you can't get rid of it. It it renders the screen or the disc filter totally ineffective. Um, They're worthless. You've got to get in with a razor blade and cut the stuff out. Mm. So with, with sand... Um, everything just kind of rusts on top of the sand bed and you backwash it from the bottom and it lifts the hair and the lint and other debris out and send it out to the sewer system. It's just how the, our system is plumbed, so we, we do that automatically with our controllers that control all that stuff. So it's, it's quite doable. We've done it and over and over and over, and it's just a matter of doing it right. Um, the irrigation portion of the system is where the water meets the dirt, and it has to be underground drip or underground some kind of other form of getting the water underground, and it's usually it's drip. We have our own emitters. They're made especially for gray water. They have a 12 GPH orifice, 
Mm-hmm. So the scaling that you get with gray water, which is an incredible amount of scaling, because even after you filter the heck out of gray water, has tiny little organic solids that want to coagulate downstream and uh, line the insides of the pipes and the valves and tubing and everything, and then flake off in these little scales, and they go out, flow downstream, and they find the opening, and if it's a little 1 GPH or 2 GPH opening, it just yep. clogs it up, and that's the end of it. Yep. Instant stop, yeah. Instant stop, and I've seen more of those systems ripped out by angry homeowners and <laughs> other apartment building owners. It's like, well, you should have bought a rewater system. Oh. But yeah, we have we do have emitters that work because they will just pass those scales right into the ground, and that stuff's actually it's fertilizer. I mean, it sure. breaks down real fast with the microbes in the soil. It just turns into full of humic acid in about fifteen minutes, and it's it's fertilizer. Are they are they like if you could tell us is it like a flat emitter or a cylindrical emitter that has maybe two holes versus one or, or a point source a little, emitter? A little little cone cone shaped. Um, Looks like kind of like an upside down um, ice cream cone, and the uh, pointy part sticks into the tubing, and you put them wherever you want to irrigate. It's not inline emitter. You, you, know, you have to poke them into the, the tube. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, we use you know blue stripe tubes. So you got a nice straight line, and and um, they punch them into the tube wherever they want the, the water to come out. So maybe you know, every landscape's different. Maybe right. one person has lawn and they want them every fourteen inches. Right. Uh, on center and, and sideways, you know, parallel rows. And if they have trees every 15 feet, they only want to irrigate next to the trees. So yeah. you poke them in where you want them. Now, obviously, does that affect, you know, I, I would think being in the irrigation business for us, uh, it also depends on the the soil conditions because sometimes the patterns of the That's water right. dispersion is going to be different. That's well, exactly right. Yeah, you got the clay soils, you have a kind of a flat, uh, looking uh, water distribution, uh, you have a sandy soil. The plume just goes straight down. Right. So, um, yeah, it just depends the kind of soil too. So, ideally, you know, I tell everybody the biggest secret to gray water irrigation is good soil prep. Yeah, <laughs> as, that's, as, a, that's a secret to regular irrigation. Yeah, I think but. I was just going to say, I think that's a general rule, Steve. So <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. know if there's any great innovation in there. But so, so yeah. let me ask you another question then, because uh, just recently we were talking about. Uh, rainwater harvesting as as well. So can a can a gray water system like you like we've been talking about and you've been describing can it be integrated or somehow used with with rainwater catchment systems? Well, we have done that, and that's that's a, a big hit with the lead crowd. You know those sure. leaders and you know lead uh, green building points. Yep, LED. And, um, yeah, they have um, a lot more money than um, most people typically, and. It's not real cost-effective. I mean, that's an understatement. It's not cost-effective by anybody's standards. Um, what, what you have is you have a lot of rain when you don't need it, so you have to store it. And so you have to have a big, giant tank. And that big, giant tank, um, no matter how giant you want to make it, um, is going just going to store water one time until the rainy season's over, and then then you can use the water. So... Uh, maybe you spend you know fifty thousand dollars for a fifty thousand gallon fifty thousand gallon tank. That takes a long time to pay for just that tank, and um, you know there's the engineering to it and everything. But sure. we do these all the time. You can get up to twelve points for a gray water system that's backed up with rainwater harvesting, 
um, we go through the sustainable sites, water reuse, go through all the various points that you check off, 12 of them. That can take you from a silver to a platinum with one system. So for the lead people, it's a very big deal, and um, they get the greenest home on the planet. You've got almost no irrigation runoff because it's all underground drip. You've got very little just rain runoff because you have a dry surface. Uh, you're capturing all the water that comes onto the property, or at least onto the building, and um, we're using the water imported through the, the gray water system. It's just as green as it gets. Yeah. Well, got to have a lot of green to afford it, though. Well, yeah, you got yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little green to get the green. So. Well, on, on, yeah. on, on your irrigation system, do you use standard type? Is your controller a standard type, or do you incorporate other devices to make it a, a smart controller so it knows when when to water? And do you use, you know, ET information, or do you do, or do or do you use, uh, say, uh, uh, turf sensors and things of that soil sensors? So. What we do is we have the Irritrol Total Control. It's got a completely different chip in it and some different hardware. Mm-hmm. And so if you know how to operate a Total Control, you know how to operate this controller. And we did that for a reason because a lot of people know how to operate the Total Control. Yeah. And so what it does, different than the Total Control, is it's starting and stopping based on when there's water available in the gray water tank. Mm-hmm. So I mean, if someone takes a shower in the morning, that water becomes available. The controller starts going through the irrigation program and starts and stops and does this throughout the day. Someone does laundry, someone comes home, takes a shower, it just keeps using water through the program as it's produced throughout the day. At midnight, it doesn't make it through the irrigation programs. With, there's four independently operating programs. You all know the total control. Yeah. Right. Um, you can then, uh, it will automatically, has a feature on it, will automatically supplement the balance of that day's irrigation schedule with fresh water. If it's hooked up to the, a rain harvesting system, it will automatically supplement that day's irrigation program with stored rain. We also have a, a third backup on there where we have a fresh water connection that if they say they go away on vacation, there's no gray water, it's the middle of summer, there's no rain, They'll just use city water. So they have their irrigation demand met no matter what. Uses gray water first, rain second. Worst case scenario, uses city water as a, as a backup. As a backup, yeah. So, yeah, we, we have, that's the system that we have in the, the green market, the, the lead market. And um, like I can say it's the greenest thing on the, and the greenest thing going. But if you just take the rain, harvesting out of that equation. You just have gray water, then it's backed up with city water. That's what we sell the most of by far. Yeah. Well, let's talk about, you know, you said hey, it takes some green, right, to get green, right? And so so, yeah. we, so we know the whole conservation and sustainability uh, issue that's pervasive right now uh, uh, in our industry and very apparent to, to homeowners and commercial customers and, and the same. So uh, talk for a minute because there are some benefits, Steve, right? There really are benefits to this, not just oh, to the homeowner and the commercial user, but also to the environment. So can you speak to that for a little bit? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's benefits that go all around with the gray water system. Like you say, there's upstream environmental benefits where you're not taking water from whatever, the Delta or Colorado River, whatever. It's just you're taking a third for an average home. It's a third less water. Um, so... And there's downstream benefits. If you're not producing that wastewater, it's not going down to whatever 
Hyperion or whatever the wastewater treatment plan is for you right. locally, or it's not overloading your septic fields and like all the Malibu crowd, you know, and goes down to the creek and you know, out to the ocean two days later. Um, it's used on your property. So all the organic stuff we talked about earlier, turning into fertilizer, that stays on your property and it grows your plants. So there's all sorts of environmental stuff that's good from gray water irrigation. You use le- less water, um, when you use less water, you also use less electricity to send that water to your house. Right. Power and energy nine, use. Nine, yeah, 19% of all of California's energy goes to pumping water around the state. That's a huge, huge number. Yeah, and that's from the yeah, California yeah. Energy Commission. And um, so that's a big number. That means less hydrocarbons for having to pump that water. Air is cleaner. Um, it's just an environmental um, smorgasbord of good things. So um, monetarily, there's that too. We kind of touched on that. But, you know, a single-family home average 3.2-person home uh, going to produce about 47,000 gallons of gray water a year. That water is going to be used underground in drip, so that's about a 25%, at least 25% efficiency factor. So that bumps it up to about 58,000 gallons of water uh, equivalent a year. That's that's no small number. You know? No, that's you, huge. You could take a, an ET controller, and you know, can you get another 58,000 gallons a year out of that? No way. Yeah. So, um you know, we have a smart controller. It's just not an ET controller. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. Well, let me ask you this because I've heard, I've heard different, you know, there's all, all people on both sides of the things, and, and the gray water, I, I think, is an important factor to everybody. You should know what to do with it. But I also heard some water agencies or some city utilities saying, well, you know, they need the water going into the sewer to push all the junk that's in there out of the way. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think we're probably a little yeah. ways away from uh, from yeah. taking too much water out of that. But, yeah. but is yeah, that, that is that is, has that been a concern? Has that come up in any of the... Uh... Uh, I hear it all the time from the water wastewater districts, yeah. Mm. Um, the reality is they don't want the waste, they don't want the good, easy gray water taken out because they can sell it. Mm. You know, they take it down to their, their reclamation plant and that's, that's easy money. Yeah. Um, there's not enough gray. If you if you could retrofit all the homes out there, um, but as we talked about, you can't, right. and that would be something. The new construction is just a small percentage of the total wastewater flows going down to the sewer plants. Mm-hmm. Every single home that's going to be built from now on had a gray water irrigation system. You'd end up putting like 10% less water down the pipe, total down the pipe, after everything was built out in California 100 years from now. So right. it's just not... Not a factor. Has any? Sorry, Chris. Uh, I has think we asked the has, same question. Yeah. No. Has any utilities offered any rebates for the systems like you that you 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 have? Well, the city of San Diego, where we where rewater systems was for thirteen years, has a thousand dollars, and that's for a, a single family home or apartment building, whatever. They give a thousand dollars, and they've determined that that's worth it. Actually, you turn it was worth about three times that much to them, mm-hmm. but they give the they give the owner a thousand dollar rebate for it. But it's it's kind of ironic that um, the water districts have a most of them. You see the um, California River Water Conservation Council has you know the BMPs. Um, they don't want to adopt gray water because it's a big ticket item. There's you know we're talking you know, fifty eight thousand gallons of water. Or, you know, apartment building, maybe you have, you know, a million or a million five, you know, a year in water. 
They're going, what's that worth, you know, to the water district? You know, it's like, we don't want to give these guys $30,000 for a gray water system. Hmm. Uh, it's a big ticket item. So the, the water conservation programs will give you 50 bucks for a rain barrel. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. they won't give you 50 bucks for a gray water system that saves, you know, a thousand times more water than a rain barrel. Hmm. So it's, it's coming. It's coming, though. Um, you know, they've used a lot of, of technologies, and they've seen, they've I picked all the, the high-hanging fruit, and there's this great big yeah. fat one sitting <laughs> at the bottom of the tree called gray water irrigation. If they ever want to pick that one, they'll have a, a, a big deal. We went through the State Water Resources Control Board State Revolving Fund uh, pro- program, right. and they determined back in 2000 that uh, this is the least expensive form of new water they have ever seen. Oh. And, I mean, it's, when you're talking about, you know, $500 an acre foot, um, that's, you run the numbers, and it can be cheaper than that, too. It depends on the, the local water rates and the local wastewater right. rates, but, um, you know, you can't touch it. And, you know, water district, like, we're looking for cheap water. Right. Oh, we can get this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a right. screaming bargain for the water district. Right. They say because they don't, there's less pumping for them, less wear and tear on the machinery, they have to buy less chemicals both on the water side and the wastewater treatment side. Right. Well, Steve, we got about a minute left here, so we want to give you a chance to tell people how they can learn more about your product, where they can go to get educated. So uh, uh, tell our listeners uh, where they can find out more. Rewater.com, R-E-Water.com. Yeah, we've um, been doing it for 30 years. We've got a website that has a lot of information on it. And just go to Rewater.com, and, and you can go through you know, you know, links for studies and links for projects, links for this and that. Um, it's all there. Great. Well, Steve, thank you very much for coming on. I'm sure it was, for me it was great to listen to this and learn more about uh, about the rewater systems, and uh, I think our listeners are going to like it. And uh, so one thing that we tell our well, – we always tell people something at the end of the show, but we're coming up with something new. So what we want to tell everybody is keep, keep our, our planet, planet blue. blue. Good night, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Have a good week. Okay. Bye. It's time for NBC Radio News on KCAA Loma Linda. Brought to you by Green Kong Dispensary, the Inland Empire's finest curated medical and recreational dispensary. Google GreenKong.com.